Welcome again to the Southwest Climate Podcast. As always, Mike Crimmins, how you doing? Good. How are you, how you doing? I've been good. I've been I've been good. I'm I I mean I can't believe the the month that we're in. We're already sort of zipping right along, um, well into you know the May and June doom season, as I call it, the heat season. This is like isn't this your least favorite month, or is it next it's, month? Yeah, you have to be a. I think you have to be a special kind of person to uh, squeeze out joy in, in 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 May and June. But you've always made the case that you like this 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 time of year. So make that case. I do. I, okay, so I like the dry heat. I actually I'm kind of like reptilian in that way. I like to to just go lie out on the pavement and uh, soak so, up some of that energy. So uh, you know the mid June heat wave that you know always comes when it. Temperatures soar into the early teens. The early teens, yeah, uh, more higher in in Phoenix. Those are those are fond memories. Well, I mean, okay, so we'll probably talk about the skin next month. But there's that there's that build up towards the monsoon that we typically see. And so May to me is a fun month because the days get longer. We start to get those really really low dew points and really really high temperatures, and it's you know. Feels cool in the shade, hot in the sun. Like I enjoy that. Once we get to that mid June, we we and we've talked about this, like getting those like 110 degree heat waves also seems to start to suck in a little bit of the monsoon moisture. So it's like that's when it starts to turn for me a little bit, and it's not quite as dry heat. But it usually is the beginning of the the monsoon ramp up. So it kind of you know like I can kind of deal with it because I know that the relief is around the corner. But man, I don't know like. I know you were gone for a little bit, but you dropped, you parachuted back into the, one of the weirdest Mays that I can remember uh, here, here in Arizona, for sure. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, you know, the May soon, the too soon, you know, whatever names that people are, are, are dropping. But it, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite interesting. Like, I, I enjoyed the, the cloud cover and uh, a little bit of, a, of, of the prelude and to the monsoon season. But we'll, we'll talk about that. I, I'll say this, though, about May and June maybe in juxtaposition to um, the monsoon season is, is it it's those, these are two months that tend not to make me like ask questions about what the heck is going on. Like the, with the climate, like it, the, yeah. there's, it's a little bit, I would say boring. It makes me think of like climate change, sort of like those kinds of uh, those kinds of questions, like how hot are we going to get? And like, what's, what's going on with, the Arctic and like all the temperature kinds of, uh, of, of questions. Yeah. It never makes me ask questions about like, you know, you know, how the atmosphere is behaving and, and which the monsoon does quite a bit. So I, I find it a little bit less uh, uh, engaging in that way. It's been our autopilot months for as long as we've been doing the podcast, <laughs> you know, we, That's we the way tend to move into here. Yeah. Like we, we have a little bit more trouble talking about, what has happened because not much has typically happened. We usually end up talking about fires across the Southwest because this would be kind of almost peak fire season like this week. Um, and even ramping up into the early part of June, typically in the Southwest. And it's just been really, really weird. <laughs> well, okay. So that's a great hint at what we're going to talk about or not going to talk about. I, I have three sort of sections here. I thought about the fire story. I thought maybe we could we could hit that uh 
in a month. Um, yeah. And so here's, uh, here's our sessions, if you will. One, I thought it would be worth covering um, or addressing the question, has it been a quiet four summer? Okay. The you second, even call it spring. Spring. We'll call it spring. Doesn't spring, feel like we can actually call it spring this year. It feels like spring. Most years feels like the Aaron Four summer. Hmm. All right. So then I think it's worth us just revisiting why it gets so hot here in the Southwest relative to other places. Just sort of a climate 101 uh, overview. You know, we are, we live in the, the hottest place in our country. And there's reasons for that. And then finally, why are the models throwing shade on the monsoon already, Mike? No, no, no. How, do you, how does that sound? If you want to throw in some fire stuff, like. Well, we don't have to. We don't, there's, there's no fires to talk about. So it's a pretty short conversation. Okay, so um, let's take this in turn. Um, so has it been a quiet for summer slash spring? Um, let me just go over a little bit of the big picture, Mike. So um, we'll step back to April. So just looking at the, the sort of regional statistics here, April, this is slightly misleading, um, but April, according to NOAA, was uh, obviously very dry. According to their ranks, it was the third dry sun record, although I think that's a little bit misleading because there's not a lot of rain to begin with. So it's very easy, like, if it doesn't rain, which it didn't in many places, you're going to be really, really dry. But that doesn't say all that much. Um, right. uh, you know, New Mexico was, you know, the sixth lowest, uh, sixth driest on record. You know, across the West in general, you have to go to Idaho and, and Montana and Oregon and 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 uh, Washington for uh, near average and above average sort of statewide precipitation ranks for, for April. So across the West, it was a, a dry dry picture. Honing, zooming in a little bit more in April, there were a few more, not rain events, but sprinkles in northern parts of Arizona and New Mexico than there were in, in, in southern parts. So the southern tier was, was, was drier. Um, in terms of statewide temperature ranks, um, Arizona was above average uh, for April. New Mexico was right around average. And again, the southern part of Arizona was was warmer than the northern part. Uh, and that is often the case when there, there's, a, you know, a, a correlation between dry and and lower temperatures. So that's sort of the the April picture. Looking now, I'm going to just take us through a couple cities here over April and May. Um, again, looking at Tucson, Tucson, the airport, uh, as I mentioned, um, no rain in April. Uh, there was, however, an interesting event, which we'll talk about in a minute. So the yeah. 15th, 16th, 17th of May produced a little bit of, uh, actually quite a bit of rain. Phoenix, same story, dry in April. The airport didn't receive any rain from that mid-May May event, which we'll talk about. Um, but around Phoenix, there were, uh, you know, if you look at Cocoraz or, or, or Rain Log, there's a number of places that recorded rain, just not as much as, as Tucson. Flagstaff, um, no rain in April. The, the airport, no rain in April. A tiny bit in that event in, in mid-May. Albuquerque, no rain in April. 
got some from that event in, in mid-May. That's that that's the only so one event basically across the Southwest over the last month and a half. And just finally, same picture in uh, Las Cruces, a little bit of rain during the uh, the mid-May event, nothing in to speak of in, in, in April. So from my purview, Mike, you know, thinking about not necessarily like the nuances of what's going on in, in the atmosphere, but just in terms of like rainfall events, aside from, aside from the mid-May event, which we'll talk about, it's been, it's been quiet. Has it been a quiet spring to you then? So I always try to look at the weather maps to see if that kind of matches the pattern on the ground. And so in the spring, in the Southwest, it actually isn't quiet in the atmosphere almost every year, right? And so I think of quiet in the sense of, are there weather systems moving across the Western US and are they impacting the, the weather of Arizona and New Mexico? So when we go from, Winter into spring, we ha- we start this battle between typically that mid-latitude storm track is somewhere along the West Coast. And, and boy, we have lots to talk about with that all winter long, extending back all the way to last fall. And we've had a, a very active uh, storm track. It's been able to tap a lot of subtropical moisture and it s- soaked California. It's put down amazing snowpack. It's soaked Arizona and um, parts of New Mexico, not all of New Mexico. And that has been an active weather pattern that really did continue into April and May, but didn't have as much moisture associated with it, which is normal too. It starts to kind of retreat north and we start to typically see the subtropical high push in from the south. It's forming over Mexico. And that's that's eventually what turns into our, our subtropical ridge or the monsoon ridge once we get into July, right? So we're always in that tussle in between. So the weather pattern has been really active, continue to be active across the West. And um, it just, it brought some wind, it brought some kind of up and down with temperature. Temperatures weren't particularly warm, I think as you noted, um, we did not have a ridge set up in a real strong position. Um, it would come and go. We had a, a, a really brief, um, heat up in mid-April. And I think it was, we talked about it on our last podcast. We had this strong ridge push up across Arizona, New Mexico, just for a day or two. And it actually dragged in some moisture from the South. It felt a little bit monsoony. Humidity went up, put a bunch of clouds across the Southwest. We had some verga, even some very light precipitation. And then it quickly got beat down by a trough coming through. So that's, that's not all that unusual. When you get into April and May too, what can happen is that as the jet stream is retreating north, you can start to have the jet stream get a little bit sloppy and have little troughs um, break off into what we call cutoff lows. That's also quite common in that transition season in April and May. And those those cutoff lows can wander around and they'll bring kind of the high level clouds in one day and cools off for a day, but typically it's dry. And that's been leads right up to this past week across the southwest of we ended up having one of those cutoff lows get in a position where it brought some really interesting weather to um, the southwest. Okay, so before we go to talk about that, so so basically it was a pretty normal 
feeling spring or I'm, what I'm calling the, the four summer, right? Where we had, just to summarize what, what you said, where there were a, a number of these sort of low pressure, weak low pressure systems coming in off the sort of from our, our, our Northwest bringing wind. It's a time that's really hard to pick up rain um, and, and precipitation. So more so than anything, we just had some variability in, in wind and, and, and temperatures, nothing out of the ordinary, but it was also, you know, conversely, it was also not abnormal in the sense that if it, if we hadn't experienced those sort of storms com coming in, we would have been much warmer than we otherwise were. Yeah, right. And so if you end up having an active jet that that lingers later into the spring, right. So because that transition is climatologically, again, every year is a little bit different, is, you know, April, you're a little closer to the winter season. So temps are still low. And again, this is all related back to fundamental kind of um, Earth system, right, is that the sun angle is driving the energy imbalance and the weather's constantly trying to respond to that, as well as, you know, background things like El Nino and this longer term or short term oscillations like Madden Julian. So there's all that kind of weather scale very good. Right. So so in April, sun angle is getting higher, still a chaotic uh northern hemisphere winter, um spring kind of transition period. We saw a lot of that weather, right? We had an active um jet stream and storm track through the winter as I talked about earlier. April, you start to see this kind of ebb and flow is that what we can happen is that based on that just pattern, you can end up having a ridge like race into the Southwest and we heat up really quickly. And then um, the jet stream relaxes or pushes the trough through here and then we cool down, right? So it's that roller, we talked about this before, it's like a roller coaster of temperature variability typically through the spring. And, and often what it is is it's wind too, which is, concurrent with with the fire season, so it can be really kind of problematic. So instead, I think what we've had, and, and I, I was trying to pull up the um, some data here to kind of look at this a little bit, but it, it feels to me like we've had a very wet winter. It was a wet summer, it was a wet fall, it was a wet winter. There's a lot of soil moisture around. There's a lot of really vigorous vegetation uh, out there. It has felt like the dew point where the humidity has been a little bit higher. I think we've had some dry air certainly come down. I wasn't able to pull up the dew point data. Maybe I'm just, this is in my head. Um, but that is what stuck out. It's like, we, it's was kind of coming out of this wet winter and active jet stream pattern. We've gotten some heat spells. Um, it's been moderated by having those cool fronts come through as the jet stream um, slacks off again. So it feels, a, it feels pretty typical in some respects, but it's also kind of in this kind of extended wet period that we've been in as well. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to, to think about it. Like normal atmospherically, but the background conditions that we inherited a little bit from, you know, the winter and 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 the and last year's monsoon is yeah, is making it slightly um slightly different in that sense. But you also mentioned at the top that it's been a really weird May. So, and I'm guessing that that is being that that comment is largely related to the event that happened this week, um, which I don't know about you, but I was getting some calls. I was like, "Has the monsoon started?" 
you know, because it looked monsoony. Now, of course, it 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 didn't. It's a different it's a different thing. But I mean, you looked out the the weather. I, there was lightning and thunder last night. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm looking on the radar, and I, you know, it looks like I I, I could be. You know, it looks like a a scene from from mid July. So it had that it had that sort of feature to it. But when you said at the beginning, it's been a it's been spring like is. Are you uh, are you inciting this this event largely, or are you? Is there other things going on? Yeah, like if this event didn't happen, would I feel the same way? Probably not. Uh, I, I think it's it hasn't been especially hot. It's been above, above average in some instances and in in some areas, and it hasn't it hasn't been like. So the reason that you hate this month, <laughs> it 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 hasn't expressed itself that way, right? Like. Like if 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 May was like it normally, like what we would consider normal, like you and I in our our you know multi-decade time here in the Southwest, like when we head into May, what are you normally feeling? Right. I, what I feel is like the days are getting a lot longer, and I don't mind. I don't mind those days are longer. Um, the afternoons, are, and this is in Tucson, certainly very across the region, hot and windy, um, but it's dry. You know the dew points are low. And I find it quite pleasant, actually. <laughs> so this was weird. I mean, it was a little bit more up and down, a couple of periods of you know high clouds, and then we we've run into this. What I think is really unusual. It was it was days, like it was almost a week long, of high dew points, very slow moving weather features, you know, afternoon storms, storms into the night. Like it, it was hard for me. You know, because I've figured out that I'm now very well in tune with like sun angle and the types of weather and the dew point and that kind of stuff. Like I got totally screwed up last night because the sun angle was at a weird level for a storm, right? Because it's like you don't, the May sun angle doesn't jive with my experience of storm. So there's all sorts of crazy light, beautiful sunset light last night that didn't, like I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. That, that to me is what really stood out. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's dive into this, this event. So it was relatively regional, I would say, Mike, I mean, it seemed like more rain happened. If you, again, I mentioned this in the beginning, but if you looked at, um, you know, rain log, and I also looked at Cucaraz just to get a bigger picture of what's going on in New Mexico, there are a, a number of people reporting rainfall across across the southwest it's mostly it seems like there's a lot more in the in the tucson metro area than in phoenix than but there's quite a bit in phoenix quite a bit in 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 prescott quite a bit in in flagstaff um some in um albuquerque and 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 las cruces as well but so it's sort of like a, a a more regional kind of scenario setup um in tucson on the 18th, uh, nearly half an inch fell. And I would say this, I, I, that's, that's quite a bit for May. It was the record for the day, I think, too. For the day, yeah. Though it wasn't the record in May. One, 1.22 inches fell at the airport, I think, in 2019, uh, if you Listen remember. Listen to you. Do, yeah, do yeah. You, I, do, do you remember me asking ChatGPT about Mayweather. I, I, and, I do. And Tell the story. Tell the story. It's, uh, so Zach and I were trying to prep for the podcast and we're commenting on the weather. And so I thought, hey, you know, there's there's robots apparently that know a lot about this stuff. So Ask I asked, 
<laughs> I asked Chet GPT. No, you asked, you asked Bard, actually. That this was oh, the did problem. I ask Bard? Yeah. I think I you're think right. You I, should Bard, not yeah. mix, I should not mix up my robots. Yeah, yeah. Um, I asked Bard what, um, how unusual rain in May was, and it gave me this kind of soft answer, as you'd expect, but it says, but there was um, three inches of rain fell in May of 2017. And Zach and I, I went and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that event. And Jesus, <laughs> like I can't, I can't yeah, remember You totally that. bought it, you know? I you... totally bought it. I totally bought it. And then it bugged me for a couple of hours. So I actually went back to the actual data. Thank goodness we have that. There, there was not a three inch rainstorm in May in 2017 in Tucson. So in fact, the airport recorded point uh, a trace. A trace that year to be 17. But 1.22 so. inches, I, I misspoke because these are monthly totals. In May of 2019, it was 1.22 inches. But then I actually looked at oh, you. Okay. Hold on. Because I looked at uh, Tucson uh, from your plots in at the airport in 2019. And basically that 1.22 inches fell in one day. Uh, not... Not, wow. Yeah, not the, the totality of it, but there's like a sliver, like maybe it's like a tenth of an inch uh, the, the, the day after. So, so yeah. So, but getting back to the point in the last 73 years, the, the full record that I was looking at Tucson airport nine times had may experienced a half an inch or greater. So, yeah. So, so, so not, uncommon right to receive and again we're just talking about one one event there's still another you know 10 days for us to to top that i mean the the records in play for may although i i would doubt that we'll get you know more you know another half an inch of rain or 0.7 inches of rain that would seem very very unlikely but um you know we still got another 10 days for for rain rain to fall but my point is you know it's not uh, uncommon, I guess, nine times out of seventy-three, but also it's 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 not common either. Yeah, <laughs> it's so interesting. Okay, so so what then set it up? And and let me preface this by saying, you know, I again I had to talk to people a little bit about like why how the monsoon differs because there was this high pressure, really weak high pressure pattern that was over the sort of northwest four corners region which is sort of like monsoony um or it looked a little monsoony it was summer summer like um so there was that feature that had had in com- uh, had in common um but then there was also this this large low pressure system off the northwest coast of actually way off the northwest coast of the, the west coast here right so a low pressure system that was sort of spinning and actually, if you looked at the satellite maps, you could see this long filament of cloud cover that streamed into largely in the southern, uh, the southern southeastern Arizona, which brought that rainfall. It looked a lot like an atmospheric river in, 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 in my mind and seemed much more to be what was driving than the, the, the rainfall event than that weak high that, that set up that would, would, would be something that we would we would call sort of monsoony looking. Um, so, so in other yeah. words, that low pressure system off the West coast was more prominent uh, as the driver of this event, but Mike, I'll, I'll turn it to you. Like, so what was, what created this? Yeah. I was trying to piece it back together. And so <laughs> it's 
all the pieces are there from the active jet. You know, it's still spring. Uh, you call it airport summer, which is probably more correct than most years down here. Northern hemisphere wise, it's it's spring. So the, the jet is still quite active. And what we've had happen is, um, you know, very meridional jet, you know, so that's where it's, got, it's kind of snaky north to south. And that, again, is not all that uncommon for this time of year. And this is also how you can have pieces of that um, jet break off or, or the storm track break off and leave little cutoff lobes the wandering around the specific, right? Again, that's not, not unusual. I think what was unusual uh, for this event is that a strong, so a, a low pressure cutoff low piece broke off. And there was also at the same time that strong low off in the Pacific that was forcing a strong ridge over the Pacific Northwest and up through into Canada. There was also a little weak cutoff low stuck underneath that ridge. And so that, that's actually something called a Rex block, which again, I don't think is all that uncommon for this type of year too, so this time of year too. So a Rex block is um, when you end up having a high pressure system north of a low pressure system. And if you can imagine too, the circulation around them, they, they reinforce each other and they um, it's a blocking pattern. And so when you have a blocking pattern, the weather gets stuck. And that was what was, I thought, striking to me is last week when the forecast started to show rain in the forecast, it started to show rain for seven days straight. <laughs> and I thought, in May? Like, you'd expect if you ended up having something kind of transitory, like a low kind of sweep through here, and it was able to pick up a little bit of subtropical moisture, you know, it's in and out quickly because it's moving along. But it got caught into this blocking pattern. That cutoff low in the position of it, and overall the whole pattern across the Western US and the Eastern US as well, I think what ended up happening was that the cutoff low was able to not only pull subtropical moisture from the South and Southwest, which it has to be subtropical at this point. The, the Gulf of California, I think at this point is still too cold to actually be a source of moisture for like a low level, moisture, you know, like a Gulf surge, like that's, we did not have a Gulf surge of moisture. It may have gotten funneled up from lower latitude, but it also got pulled from the east. And so if you looked at the weather pattern, the Great Plains in Texas were super wet last week. And we were able to work moisture, not only from the south, but from the east through the, I think, through the Chiricahua Gap. I think we actually moved moisture from, from the east that was part of this whole sort of secret sauce of moisture and dynamics that supported it. So it was really, the moisture right, was, was available, the, the sun angle is high, so it was able to fire convection. But the thing that we needed that we don't have during the monsoon too, is there it was cooler upper level temperatures because of that low pressure system gave us some lapse rates and some convection cape basically that we would not have had uh, in sort of the, the height of the monsoon with being stuck under that ridge. Wait, so repeat the Rex block part of this equation because I think that's important and that that went a little fast for for me. Okay, so so like the people were seeing this big ridge across the western U.S. right, which starts to look monsoony like that. That is not necessarily the broad subtropical ridge that reaches all the way into the tropics, right? It's a ridge. 
in the mid latitudes. So when that ridge uh, is to the north, if typically you it's just a you know there's like a ridge axis, right? So you know it like peaks, and then as you follow that ridge axis down south from its peak in the north, the pressure usually increases to the center of the high pressure system, the upper level high, right? Like the four corners high, like that's what we would think about it. Instead, what ended up happening is that if you follow that ridge axis to the south, there was a high, but then there was a low right underneath it. And so that low being stuck underneath a ridge, it gets stuck because that flow pattern reinforces itself. And I think if you look on the weather maps even today, which is May 19th, there's still some, some vestige of this. So that would explain uh, then the persistence or the, the duration of the the moisture area. Absolutely. Right. And so, and that's the thing about cutoffs is um, they wander anyways, they, they, because they're not part of the storm track. And so they can, they, they can create really interesting, sensible weather across the Southwest for long periods of time. Typically this time of year, it's usually only high clouds and wind. Um, Sometimes we a little bit of humidity, but this one just happened to kind of sync up with both moisture from the South and from the East. Was it strong? um, Had the dynamics. Was the low, the cutoff low strong enough that it was, because of its strength, it was able to entrain sort of the, the subtropical moisture or was it was it sort of a weak? It wasn't that strong. Like, you know, when we think about, um, you know, central pressure and the gradient around it, um, it was not particularly strong. I think it was just well placed. So, so further south than... Yeah. yeah. Its position south allowed it to... To, to scoop up. So, so what about that deep low off the West coast? What was its role? Forcing the ridge, I think. Okay. I think it's, I think it, you know, it's like the, the, if you look at the weather maps, there was, there were a mess of like highs and lows all over the place. Right. Again, not that uncommon for the spring because it, it's a, the, the pattern gets a little bit weaker from North to South as you transition into summer. So you can get the, the more kind of wavy patterns. So you end up getting all these little kind of features here. So the strong low off the west coast forcing the ridge, and then there's just this little cutoff low. I think it, I think it's considered a cutoff. Looks cutoff. It's closed low, cutoff from the main flow there. Deep enough, strong enough, and with both I think moisture to the south and to the east. You know, just being able to kind of like pull it up into this region. And, you know, is that's the key is like the amount of moisture at any time of the year in our latitude is going to correlate with the precipitation we get out of it. In this time of the year too, it's a little bit cooler. So it's, it's a little bit easier to get to, um, you know, precipitable water amounts that will create precipitation. You need even more moisture to get into the core of the summer um, because it gets so much hotter through the, through the whole depth of the atmosphere. Cool feature. It was really interesting. Yeah. And, and it's like, what, it, just thinking about like how crazy last summer was and then the weird fall rain and then the winter rain. And then I, you know, I always click back to Mr. I'm Mr. Climatology. So I'm like, okay, we go back into like normal. And then to get this kind of thrown in there, it's like, okay, what's, what's next? You know, is there going to be something interesting? What if we don't get our Father's Day heat wave, Zach? What if this is that year? I mean, I guess if there's rain, a rain event in May, it's going to, 
it's going to be somewhat interesting, right? Like, cause it's, yeah, it's, it'll stand out for sure. Stand yeah. out and, and it will be the consequence of some, you know, weird positioning or abnormal sort of weather patterns. And there's a number of those patterns that could produce rain. And there are, there are sort of all, uh, they all bring their own little flavor. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I, this one was really interesting. And, and I think like I said, the, just the duration of it, you know, to like go into multiple days where the, the, the chance of precip was high and to hear thunder for multiple days and to see lightning. And I know that didn't happen everywhere across the Southwest. I mean, it, it looks to me that the heaviest rain over the last seven days actually was in Texas and through the Great Plains. It reached into New Mexico, but it, it extended through much of Arizona and up into Utah. So it's like, it was like a, and again, not completely all the same thing, but it was a widespread rain event, you know, in May, which is quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's, we can move on unless there's anything else you want to talk about uh, in April and, and May that we didn't cover. No. Do you love May now? <laughs> Still not doing it for you, huh? I love May more than I like June. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm sort of painting a, maybe a, uh, an overly black and white photo uh, picture of myself when it comes to climbing in the, uh, in this season, I, I can get into a little bit of the extremeness of it. And you, you sort of have to steal yourself, I think. And, uh, for the yeah. heat. um, but you know, it's, it, it, it adds some, some difference, you know, uh, what, what I particularly like about the weather here in the Southwest is, you know, it's quite variable. You know, we've, we've got the amazing monsoon, you know, we've got like a very distinctive doom season, you know, and, and, and then the winter, like, <laughs> the the winter brings some, some of its own in, interesting things and in, in nuance. So I, you know, it's, I, I should, I should not paint myself as a, as a May, June hater too much. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, so Mike, I thought it would be worth thinking about the question of, of of why this region is so much hotter or is the hottest region in 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 the US. Like what about the sort of regional patterns produce uh, a sort of May and June and even in the July um you know te- temperature pattern that is you know pretty extreme. Um so let's do a little bit on on that, let me just provide a little bit of um, description here. So, um, let me get my my June map up. It's obviously of no surprise to people listening that I'm looking at a map of June uh, average June temperatures. That the hottest place in the country is pretty much in the low desert region of of Arizona and. The Sonoran and Mojave deserts, you know, average temperatures, you know, anywhere between, you know, low 80s to uh, low 90s uh, in the in the low deserts. So that's like southern Arizona, southeastern California in the Mojave Desert. Interestingly, you know, the southern tip of Texas is also you know, rivals this area in terms of a- average temperatures. South of San Antonio has average temperatures in in that order the, the the highs aren't as 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 high but but it's the other region you know if you look at the the maximum temperatures again it's the same same pattern some of the low desert areas 
you know, can get above on average above a hundred. Um, much of the low deserts are 95 or above on average. Um, again, this is sort of south of the Mogollon Rim, uh, the Colorado Plateau region where the elevations get a little bit higher, extending into California's uh, Mojave Desert. And, you know, if we if we just looked at a couple cities, we looked at sort of San Diego, uh, uh, west of us, Tucson, Las Cruces to our east in New Mexico, and then all the way to sort of central uh, Texas and, and, and Dallas, we're sort of all at the latitudinal range, sorry, all at a similar latitude, right? But the, the climates are quite different. And I thought it would be instructive just to think about, you know, the, the differences. So, so, so San Diego, much cooler, uh, milder climate, Tucson, sort of much hotter, drier. Um, and then as you go more toward Dallas, it's still hot, but obviously not as hot, much more uh, uh, moisture. And we're, we're talking June. So Mike, just yeah. maybe maybe walk us through like, you know, why the Sonoran Desert, the Mojave Desert is sort of the, the epicenter for, you know, hot temperatures in the summer. Yeah, no, I think it's a really kind of cool physical geography conceptualization here. So along that line of latitude, again, we kind of talked about this through the, through the podcast, is that springtime sunning gets higher and we're sort of transitioning from winter into spring. And so at this particular time of year, Tucson is an inland, and this is Arizona, New Mexico, we're an inland continental location. And so our nearest water body is the uh, Pacific Ocean. And um, being an inland continental location, you are buffered from the moderating effects of the ocean. So that already is like kind of the first part of the story. So not having a large water body next to you or near you is going to allow your temperatures to fluctuate quite a bit. So that then just, opens up. Let me just add some, yeah. some, some data there. So like the average yeah. June for San Diego's, uh, the average high is 72 and the average low is 62. Whereas if you go to Tucson, uh, in June, the average high is 102 and the average low is 67. So that that oceanic influence, that maritime climate, like basically moderates the range and the floor and the ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. So San Diego being kind of a classic coastal Mediterranean climate, having, um, and so thinking about, again, June in particular, sun angles getting higher, the subtropical ridge that turns into or is our monsoon ridge is, is starting to build north both as the whole northern hemisphere sort of reorganizes with all this extra energy from the sun and the surface is starting to heat up from Mexico and into the southwest. And so that surface heating feedback is also part of the, the building of the ridge to the north and, and, and part of the overall uh, large-scale circulation pattern that we have. So you have uh, in San Diego, which is kind of interesting, is that as that ridge builds north, uh, there's something called June gloom, which is that the coastal marine layer actually starts to get drawn inland a little bit. And so you get this ebb and flow. And so as that coastal marine lo uh, layer is this, the whole interior west is heating up. It's starting to kind of draw air in from the ocean, draw air in from every direction because it's rising and it's building into this big heat, heat dome, which is the ridge, starts to pull the marine layer in. And so Californians will talk about how 
miserable June can be for a different reason than the way you the reason you hate uh, Tucson weather, Zach, is that it, it's the temperature does not vary at all. It's cloudy and it's foggy. It's actually foggy because of that marine layer. So that's going to clamp down your temperature variability even more by having that oceanic air mass like parked over you. Us further inland, we're we're going to be even drier because that ridge um, position and the, the flow of air into the southwest at that point in May and into June is dry. It's coming in off of the Pacific Ocean, but it's a cool ocean, uh, which doesn't have, it's not giving off a lot of moisture. So it's a cool, dry fetch, but it heats up as it comes inland. So it keeps us dry. And then if you go further to the east, Dallas is your kind of third comparison city. Zach, that's past the 100th meridian as we go east. And Dallas now is, is, is getting just inundated with this strong flow of moisture off the Gulf of Mexico. And so their humidity is very, very high, getting all that sun at the same time. They have all this humidity, so they're, they'll build afternoon storms pretty frequently, they'll have cloud cover, and um, they, they won't get quite as hot as we will, even if they're at a lower elevation, but their overnight lows will be much, much higher too, like we would have in the middle of our monsoon season. So they don't quite have the extremes like the desert climate we would have, but they're still gonna be under that same you know, long duration of sun, increasing duration, high sun, but having the moisture as well to deal with. What about the explanation between Tucson and Las Cruces? So if we looked at June, the average highs are about 95 in, in Las Cruces, or like I said before, 102 in, in Tucson. So slightly different there. The average lows in Las Cruces are 63 and similar in, in Tucson, uh, average lows 67. Like, is there... What what is is helping to explain um, some of the the differences between Las Cruces and and, and and Tucson, or are they are they just very similar? And maybe it's like an elevational effect. I'm forgetting exactly, Tucson's at like twenty five hundred feet. I'm not sure. I I recall what what um, Las Cruces is. Las Cruces is about four grand. So I'm right. I'm almost positive that that's the that that's the explanation. So another thing though that is is a little bit different is you go is you go east. And you get further, so I think Las Cruces is kind of at a break point. You go further east into New Mexico, they actually have a spring precipitation maximum. So they they can so eastern New Mexico can be part of the whole Great Plains springtime wet signal. So you can have eastern New Mexico can have some moderated temperatures due to that Great Plains springtime signal. And the further as you go. West, you get away from that and you get more into the kind of classic April, May, June, dry, arid four summer region that then gives way to the core of the monsoon in the southwest. All right. And obviously there's quite a bit of, of elevation and topography in, uh, in, in Arizona, which has a, a moderating effect too, as you go, as you go up in elevation uh, from the, uh, from these low deserts, uh, the the temperatures become quite quite pleasant, if you will, up in the absolutely absolutely Mogollon Rim area and up in the up in the Colorado. So there's a moderating effect of of elevation, which which I'm sure most people are, are well aware of. Um, okay, so um, I just thought, Mike, that I wanted to think a little bit about what was changing uh, in terms of temperature in these in these months, May, June, and July months, and 
I did this sort of exploration of statewide average temperatures. So looking at average May temperatures across Arizona and averaged across uh, New Mexico. And I, I just sort of exploring like how has the temperature changed and over time. So looking at the full record and the, the full record, um, and this is prism data. So these, these are gridded data. You can maybe speak a little bit more about, um, about their nuances, Mike, if you want to, but their gridded data uh, goes back, I've got 73 years here, so um, 20, 1950, and just doing like a simple like trend analysis. And obviously um, what comes out to no surprise is that temperatures in May, June, and July are all increasing. There's quite a bit of variability um, year, year, year to year. But what I thought was interesting was when you look at the the trend, and for May, like thinking about temperature change per decade, it's it's for May in Arizona, it's about 0.3 degrees Fahrenheit. So so that would mean over the record, over the 70 years, we've seen about two degrees Fahrenheit change. So it's like 0.3 degrees per decade of, of, of general temperature increases. Again, variability year to year. June was about double that, so 0.6. And July was around 0.6. 0.27. Um, and the same sort of pattern emerged in New Mexico, only that the, the, the slopes that were, 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 were lower. Um, so let me just walk people through that. So May in New Mexico, per decade, the temperature increase was about 0.2 for May, uh, about 0.35 for June, and about Point close to point two for for July. So similar pattern, higher slopes in Arizona than than New Mexico. But what I found interesting was that it's getting progressively or more rapidly warming uh, in June than it is in May and July. Like it's the signal, the slope is almost double that. And I just you know, wanted to query you and 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 see if you've thought about this. I, I have some thoughts on why that might might be, but I don't know if you have any immediate reaction to June being the sort of month that the temperature rise is outpacing the other two. Yeah, I I don't I don't totally know. I think, and I'll hear what you think too, is that. May and July are two really different seasons. So May, as we've already talked about, is one of those transition months has quite a bit of you know, you have late spring weather variability into it. So it could be noisy, which could kind of damp tamp down the trend. June is a little bit more pure in the sense that it is almost always subjected to the the position, the subtropical ridge, the big the monsoon ridge that's building in. So it's it's it, the variability is, I think, lower. And so you probably see that expression trend a little bit more cleanly in June. And then July is that transition month again, where we can have slightly later, slightly earlier monsoon onset, which I think would introduce some noise into that time series. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a variability story as well for, for exactly those reasons uh, that you said. And if you look at, you know, July, the nuance of this July record, you can also see that the 
year-to-year variability in July is is suppressed, and that would make sense because it's all, you're bringing in moisture, cloud cover. You're sort of taking the top off. You're taking the bottom off, or, or you're ra- raising the bottom. So you're you're sort of compressing that uh, variability. And yeah, you're you're just what you said. Like there's maybe less weather noise in uh, the signal is purer in 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 June than it is in in May and uh, May and July. So yeah, I think maybe the bigger picture here is when we think about the changes that we're experiencing within our climate that there is quite a bit of heterogeneity or uh, differences, you know, month to month and even within months. And, and, you know, some months are changing at different rates than, than other months. And in this particular case, June, June seems to be one of the, one of the months, at least for Arizona, that's uh, experiencing the the greatest warming. Whereas, you know, other ones, obviously I, I haven't reported on, you know, the, winter months and, and and those stories might might be different but but certainly june uh within the context of the the summer is seems to be the month that uh that the temperature signal is accelerating the most yeah all right anything else there temperature trends any other trends of note it's just getting warmer right yeah yeah i mean there's all sorts of stuff to, to dig into on um some of the other variables like winds and humidity and those kinds of things and um it's just a little hard to get at that data you know quite honestly and be able to take a take a kind of a quick and dirty look at it all right so um moving along so mike the models are not painting a great picture at the moment for the monsoon now we've come off of two just amazing monsoons, back-to-back monsoons, right? Like my my bias here is like, we can't have a third, but it's based on nothing other than like a small sample size of, of statistics, right? Like, but I'm, I'm curious, what are you seeing? Like hot and wet, hot and dry or hot and who knows? Oh man, I... Think it'll be warmer. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> um, wait, wait. What? That is a. That's a. If I may read into that, that's a very depressing beginning to what you're about ready to say. Yeah, I. Well, you talked me off the ledge. I. I think that it. it it's quite interesting. We'll try to pick this apart quickly. But um, the official outlook by the Conservation Center is a. It's got this giant splotch of light tan across the southwest for July, August, September, which is its lowest lean towards below average total seasonal precipitation, right? So it's it's the, the least confident kind of band of, of uh, outlook color that you can put on the map, right? So, so there's some signaling there that there is at least some warning signs, I think. And then you did you see the IRI forecast too? That had for um, yeah, for, for July, September. It's it's it shows a, t- a tiny little bit of below average forecast for like parts of New Mexico and northern Mexico, but not Arizona. So it's 
I don't know, man. It's it's like the official forecasts from the humans are like, yeah, I don't know, something might be going on here. The models themselves, though, um, like the kind of the gold standard European uh, or the international multi-model ensemble, and then the North American multi-model ensemble, both are look pretty bad for uh, July to September as far as precip totals. Yeah, so I'm looking right now at the North American multi-model ensemble. I'm only looking for July, and so there are six models in this ensemble, and then they 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 also have the international multi-model ensemble. But I don't think that go that doesn't go into the North American mo model ensemble, correct? I don't think so. I don't think so either. So it's these six models, and every single one of them is showing a dry signal for July. And, and that's not the entirety of the monsoon season, but it's, you know, a dry, a dry July uh, very often means a dry signal for the season. Just that, that would make sense um, just by yeah. you have less time to generate rain if, if, if you're starting late. And normally Mike, uh, you know, you get some, variability in 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 these models but they're all they're all picking up, up on something similar now admittedly these things are black boxes to me but i did look at like the skill masks so the skill mask like you, you can you can sort of dig in and and ask the question of like well how have these models fared historically versus you know reality have they actually been okay or 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 had some predictive value and I mean, it's a mixed bag when you look at these things over the U.S. Like some regions are better than others. You know, I would. I'm looking at this. Let me let me pull up the skill mask for um, the July period. You know, and there's there is no skill across Western New Mexico and Arizona, but there is some skill of value of people who study this. They're like there is some information there. There is some skill in the Sierra Madre in the sort of core of the Mexican monsoon re region. And so one might think that the models at least have some meaningful information that they're picking up in that area. And if it's if it's calling for a dry signal there, it's probably likelier that our, you know, the the US portion of the monsoon would also experience a dry, dry signal. So I don't know what to make of this, you know, like I do think that the models, uh, I mean, the monsoon is, we've said this almost every year. Um, I, no, we've said it every year that the monsoon is an incredibly difficult phenomenon to forecast, but something about these forecasts are making me, maybe it combines with the fact that following two back-to-back amazing monsoons and it just doesn't seem like we would have a, a third maybe that is also these two things together are making me a little yeah. bit uh it's a, i know it's like it's like part rational part irrational it, that's where i'm at too it's like you know if these if these forecasts were pretty neutral you know like they didn't show much of a a shift i think i would still my irrational part of me is like well i don't know like we're due for something bad <laughs> but now seeing them Pete, you know some pretty strong anomalies for the whole season and and having the nm the multi-model the the national multi-model ensemble and then kind of going through the the european model ones on the international one there's a lot of like consistency of pointing towards sort of a weaker 
monsoon. Okay, so what could that actually look like? It, it could just be a late start with a little bit of a rally later on. This shift towards El Nino is it's on, it's happening, it's it's going, right? And there's there appears to be even the atmosphere starting to respond to it, which actually could be part of what's going on with the models hinting towards drier than average conditions. I, I think what is happening, and I, I just pulled up the so the climate forecast system is the U, the NOAA, this the single NOAA model that does seasonal outlooks. It's part of the National Multi-Model Ensemble. And they've got these daily updates to for June precipitation and temperature and those kinds of things. And so what's interesting about this that caught my eye was that they're the, the CFS model kind of every day now is predicting that the temperatures in June across the Southwest, this has actually come up in the last week or so, are going to be below average, which is like, what, what does that mean? It looks like the models are picking up on a weak low off the California coast, lingering into June, which would bring, you know, keep temperatures below average and would be kind of working against the building of the monsoon ridge at that point, which that would delay the progression. Yeah, it could. But again, like, I, I don't know. I, 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 I read somewhere garbage. in some webpage, somewhere in the internet, that also the, you know, the wet winter, wet, you know, summer, you know, there's a lot of like moisture around, a lot of moisture in the landscape, you know, that is also... You know, we we've talked about this before. There was some correlations, like, you know, you have to go back in the the literature, you know, where they talked about like the land surface feedback, like years with large snowpack, sort of um, had some relationship to delayed onset of uh, of the monsoon. That relationship, you know, th those were published in what the 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 early two thousands, and and that relationship has not held up so strongly more recently, but is, is, could that be playing a role as well? Yeah, it's definitely come up in the forecast discussions is that this, this kind of anti-correlation between wet winters and, and dry summers, it, it's not super strong in the data though. When you kind of poke around the Southwest, the correlations are pretty weak. They're not super consistent from space to space. So I don't put a lot of, I don't put a lot of credence in that part of it. I'm more worried about the overall larger scale circulation pattern getting kind of um, stopped up. Like the, the, the wet spring conditions, we've got, in, we've got instances in the more recent past where if it gets hot in May and June, we can, we can reverse uh, so much really pretty quickly in a matter of weeks. And we can also go from kind of a trophy, you know, May into a strong, um, subtropical ridge, monsoon ridge by June 15th and, and really race into it by the end of June. So I'm not super sure what the models are picking up other than a sort of a weaker subtropical ridge that hopefully won't plague us all summer long. And if it does, at least give us some tropical storms in, in September. <laughs> Right, and you mentioned El, El Nino's on on the horizon, and the forecasts for El Nino are it's not the thresholds haven't been crossed yet, so it's still sort of 
on the horizon, but it's according to the IRI, International Research Institute for Climate and Society, their forecast, you know, into the fall, the chances of an El Nino developing are are greater than 80, 80%. So that looks like, you know, and like a La Nina is virtually zero and neutral conditions are, you know, around 20%. So it's, 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 and if you look at sort of the sea surface temperatures and the subsurface temperatures, you know, it's all pointing uh, toward this uh, La Nina with a intensity that, you know, remains unknown, but probably, you know, somewhere in the the moderate, it looks like it's looking at all the different models. It looks like it's somewhere in the moderate realm. So not like one of these really intense La Nina's that we've had in the past, but also, you know, it's going to be there, I guess, is the only thing that I can say. Anything yeah. else to, to say more about the La Nina forecast? Yeah. So, so the El Nino coming online is. Um, did I say La Nina there? You did, and it yeah. was. Thank you. It was like Freudian. You're you're so um, you're so baked in with La Nina. I know it's years. the years. You can't even like. Break I mean, out. let me correct that. The El El Nino forecast. Yeah, the El Nino is, um, and to, to your point too, it's. It's still spring. We have a predictability issue in the spring. It's harder to, we know that it's going to show up. Like that's, we're confident that the, the, the magnitude of the event is still yet to be determined, which can happen through the summertime. And, um, I think what's interesting about this one, though, Zach, is that it's been a, it's, it's been a coastal El Nino. And I don't know if we've seen a coastal one of this strength in quite a while. Where, where meaning that the temperature anomalies have been, they've been spreading from the South American coast out rather than kind of a central Pacific El Nino. And we do know from the research that the coastal ones that are further in the Eastern Pacific, they do seem to give a bit more reliability and a wetter signal later in the fall and the winter for the Southwest. That may, that may be old research I'm citing, but, but I, I thought I remember reading that, that at some point. Well, the other thing that seems to be interesting is that it's not just the subtropical ocean surfaces that are that are warm, that there is warm water everywhere. In fact, I think according to some, and this is from the NOAA's ENSO blog I'm 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 drawing this information from. They looked at sort of an average of the sea surface temperatures globally, and it's there's 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 warmer conditions. It's more more warm water in this year than there has ever been. And how that may affect ENSO is it depends on, the atmospheric response depends on these temperature gradients across the sea. And if it's warm everywhere, there might be some dampening of that atmospheric response. So yeah, that's a good point, right? So if you don't get the gradient from east to west, right? Exactly. Yeah, and it's according to one of the, the 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 few one of the two main sea surface temperature data sets. The current average ocean oceanic temperatures are much above the the previous record at this time, uh, which was 2016. Uh, and 20, 2022 was also last year was also high, but uh, you know we're talking considerably warmer. So there there's warm water everywhere, and I would also say that. 
there's been a lot of information that's come out. WMO, World Meteorological Organization, just had a press release about the expectation for next year for uh, global average temperatures to um, exceed the record. And that's largely related to El Nino as El Nino, warmer surface water sort of pump a bunch of heat in, in, into the atmosphere. And so the previous global average temperature high is somewhere in the vicinity of According to James Hansen's baseline, it's 1.3 degrees Celsius above the the long term average. You know he's seeing that this El Nino will likely cause uh, the global average temperatures to be about you know 1.4, 1.5. That's that's a huge difference. WMO, like I said, released their their press release. They expect you know to like virtually 100 percent. I think 98 percent chance that one of the next five years will uh, exceed the, the the previous record. So the, I think the point here is we know that it's getting warmer. The point here is just with this El Nino, we've, we've come on the, the heels of three La Nina events, which tends to suppress temperatures. Global average temperatures has remained relatively similar over the last three years. But now we're going to have this extra dollop. You know, the 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 average temperatures globally will will, will probably exceed our 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 highest previous record. So get ready for yeah. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That this is a big, a big shift. You know, it's globally and then has implications for the Southwest too, which we'll have to kind of keep an eye on. All right, Mike. Uh what else? Anything? No, we have said a lot about Maine. We don't normally say a lot about Maine. <laughs> it took some creativity, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and some good weather to talk about, some interesting weather to talk about. All right. Well, I'm excited for what's in front of us, and hopefully those models will turn out uh, not to be correct, and and we'll have a a third epic monsoon. Um, and uh, but even if we don't, uh, you know, the, we'll we'll have a therapy session, which we've done like yes. three years ago. So we did. We were practiced. A uh, maybe famous last words. I don't think it'll be as bad as 2020. Maybe maybe you and I won't see that again. Um, but oh man, I shouldn't have said it out loud today. <laughs> All right. So final parting shot, Mike. Are you betting on below average, near average, or above average monsoon? On the record, go. Below average. Yeah, I'm leaning right. that way too. Oh, I know. Kills me to say it. <laughs> we'll be okay. We'll be okay. All right. Well, uh, um, thanks everybody for listening. And we'll come back in, in mid-June at the start of the monsoon. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Thank you.